Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Good morning, Ritman Grace, brother in church. Hope everybody's having a good weekend so far. Uh, some beautiful, cool autumn weather this morning. I know I enjoyed that. Um, my name's Clark. I'm one of the leaders on our staff. And uh, if I haven't met you before, I'd love to uh, meet you and get to know you a little bit before you take off and uh, just catch up a little bit if we have met. Uh, we are uh, continuing in our sermon series called uh, Jesus's Parables. Uh, throughout the series, what we've kind of been doing is we've been looking at some of these little stories that uh, Jesus would tell in order to illustrate profound truths to his audience. And so we've been doing that, been enjoying that quite a bit, and uh, we're going to continue that here uh, this morning. So if you are just now locking in with us for this sermon series, you're actually catching us at week seven on an eight-week series. So I encourage you, uh, if you missed any, go back and uh, get caught up at ritmangrace.org. All those messages are there for you to access. We'd love to serve you in that way. Uh, but just to recap a little bit before we get started, uh, so far what we've kind of talked about is uh, week one was the parable of the sower. Uh, week two, we looked at the parable of the wise and foolish builder. Uh, then we talked about the parable of the good Samaritan, uh, the parable of the persistent widow, the parable of the two debtors. Last week, we looked at the parable of the hidden treasure. If you were here, you might remember that. And uh, today, we want to continue by looking at another parable. Uh, today, we want to look at the parable of the rich fool. The parable of the rich fool. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 12. Uh, Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be mainly camping out here this morning. And as you're going there, uh, just to give you a little bit of a window into my life, I don't know about you, but uh, throughout my life I've noticed something about myself, and my guess is you've probably noticed this about yourself as well. Uh, we don't have it all together, right? Big surprise. I know that's really surprising for me. As much as I wish I could say that I have it all together, uh, that I don't need anybody's help, uh, that's just not the case, right? Uh, once upon a time I was attending the University of Akron uh, Wayne campus, and um, I was an undeclared major at the time. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I had to take this compass test. It was like a placement test, and uh, that was part of the admissions process. And I hadn't been to in any school in like four years. I was 22 when I started college. So this compass test, this placement test, included everything from reading to writing skills to essay writing and unfortunately math, which I'm terrible at. So I took this compass test, and unfortunately, I had only passed the reading portions. I think it was because I was reading my Bible, which is a good thing. Uh, but what that meant was that I was going to take non-credited non -credited college courses. So that was a lot of fun. I was going to pay money out of pocket for, for non-credited college courses. So the, uh, the math was my least favorite, so I just figured, let's knock that one out first. Uh, so I was enrolled to Basic Math 1, and basic math too. And as it turns out, that was actually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, I can do this. How bad can It's basic math, right? It shouldn't be that hard. Uh, my teacher, uh, Dr. Maroli, I think that was his name, uh, 
he noticed that I was struggling in his class. And so one day he just came to me and he was like, Clark, hey, I know that you're struggling with some of these problems and I would really love to get with you and, and help you work on these and figure it out. And uh, upon hearing that, you know, I was kind of ashamed and embarrassed and, you know, being a guy like you don't want to look weak. So I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, I think I can figure it out. I think I'll be okay. And so I just kept struggling in that class and kept struggling and kept struggling until one day I just came to him and I was like, yeah, Dr. Maroli, I'm like, if you are still um, offering that help, I'd love to take you up on that offer. And so that ended up being a really good decision because uh, I got to meet up with him at this, uh, they call it the Smuckers Learning Center. So I got together with him about once a week and he was giving me this one-on-one -on -one time uh, to help figure out how to solve these math problems and pass his class. And so the reason I tell you that is because I think I learned a really valuable lesson that semester. And unfortunately, I think I learned this lesson in other areas of my life too. But the lesson that I learned, if you're taking notes, is this is that self-reliance is self-destruction. Self-reliance is self-destruction. So often we grow up hearing this, uh, the only person that you can depend on is yourself. We're taught that it's not good to lean on others too much. But the reality is self-reliance is self-destructive. When our reliance pervades our approach to the world, it can deprive us from love, commitment, and trust. And we, we see this in relationships. We see this in our marriage. We see this in friendships. But ultimately, what's at stake, what we really forfeit more than anything with this self-reliance, is our relationship with God. Uh, the gospel is opposed to self-reliance. Uh, we have to rely not on ourselves, but on God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. Right? We can't earn our salvation. We, can't, we don't deserve our salvation. It's all because of the work of Christ. And so I think what we're going to see in today's passage of study, this parable, is we're going to see an individual who lives a life of self-reliance. It puts his hope in his stuff, puts his hope in things that are temporary instead of things that are eternal, such as God. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to go to Luke 12. Hopefully you're there by now. What I want to do is I want to read the passage all the way through and then circle back around and make a few observations. So, so Luke chapter 12, hopefully you're there by now. Let's look at this together. It says this, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. All right, so this is one of the parables of Jesus. And uh, my guess is... If you have your bulletin notes, uh, you can see that the way we want to structure the rest of our time together is actually under three 
uh, separate headings. I think there's three things that we need to notice in this text uh, to really get our head around this passage. And those three things are the request, the refusal, and the rebuke. The request, the refusal, and the rebuke. I hardly ever do three-point messages, but this time I'm doing it. Okay, so let's look at this first heading together, the request. Notice the text says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So I want you to notice that someone in the crowd, Jesus's uh, teaching, the Bible tells us that there's thousands of people that want to hear Jesus teach. They're actually, the Bible says that they're they're falling over each other, if you can imagine that many people. And so in the middle of Jesus' sermon, there's this guy that says, hey, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Uh, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, who is Jewish law, it gave the general rule that an elder son received a double, a younger one's portion. And so during this time, it wasn't uncommon that these sort of disputes would be settled by rabbis. And so this man's request of Jesus is, is both a selfish request and it's a materialistic one. One of the things that we need to understand also is that Jesus talked a lot about the subject of money. Jesus talked a lot about money. Uh, in this case, like so many of us, uh, we would sit in a sermon and we would listen and think, I'm sure you've been here uh, and thought this before, like, man, I really wish, you know, so-and-so was here to hear this message, or I wish, you know, my coworker or my neighbor was here to hear this. This man in the crowd is, he's so used to hearing Jesus say, be generous. And so he's so used to that that he's, he's just like, he just straight up asks Jesus, would you talk to my brother about this? Would you talk to him about splitting the inheritance with me? The reason Jesus talked about money so much is because generosity is at the heart of every single thing a Christian is and does. If you look at the whole scope of what the Bible actually says about what a Christian does, uh, giving is at the heart of every part of it. If you think about faith, think about hope, think about love, uh, these are the three cardinal virtues of Christian character. So why don't we give more? It's because of a lack of faith. We think, I wonder whether God will really take care of me if I give. And so that's not a lack of generosity. That's actually a lack of faith. If we consider what the Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 4, 5, and 6, uh, we'll see Christians giving their money away in astonishing proportions. And so that showed the world something that really, something real happened to them. And the reality is uh, God's generosity the reality of God's generosity to us will never, never hit the world until they see the generosity to everybody else. So giving is at the heart of Christianity. The reality is giving is actually not just one subject either. Uh, I think there's a temptation to come here this morning and see the bulletin and think, man, today must be a giving message. It's the parable of the rich fool. Uh, when do we get to the other subjects? But giving is actually the heart of all the subjects. And that's why this man asks Jesus this question, and, and that's why Jesus never stopped talking about it. So we have the request. Now let's look at the second heading, the refusal. Notice how Jesus responds in verse 14. Jesus replied, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So first of all, Jesus is continually saying he's a judge, right? So it's almost kind of confusing at face value. 
Uh, we know that Jesus is the judge. He's the judge of the living and the dead. The Bible talks about how he will divide the sheep from the goats and all that stuff. What Jesus is saying to this guy in this passage here is, you don't know what I'm appointed to do. Uh, you don't understand my mission. Watch what happens next in verse 15. He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Notice, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In the Greek language, it literally says, you do not exist in your possessions. Jesus is saying, you don't exist in those things. He's saying, my job is to tell you what life is, what life really consists in. He's saying, you haven't understood what I'm here for. Jesus is saying to him, I'm not here to help you build the life that you want. I'm here to be your life. I've come to revolutionize your life, not help you get to your agenda. Jesus is saying, I came here to give you an entirely new agenda. Now, before we move on, I think it's important for us to know, if you're not sure where you land with Jesus and Christianity, if you're not sure what you believe, uh, beware of this mistake. Jesus isn't after your money. God doesn't want your money. A lot of people think, well, the church, they just want your money. See, Jesus doesn't want your money, but he does want your heart. And some people will, on the other end, they'll give their money to build orphanages, hospitals, feed the poor, give to the church, and they think, well, maybe now God will listen to me. But if you give, your, if you give God your money before you give him yourself, you're not serving God, you're using God. And so Jesus is saying, life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Your life is not about your stuff, right? And then we get to verse 20. Now we get to the rebuke. Jesus tells the parable, which we read a little bit earlier. He gets to this bottom line here in verse 20. And he says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So I just want to highlight this word fool. The word fool in the Bible is a pretty significant word in the scriptures. The word fool is describing somebody who is out of touch with reality. In the Bible, uh, foolishness is not the absence of mental equipment. It's the presence of an outlook that hates God's definitions of reality. So this man in this parable, he saved as if this life was all that there is. And he's saying, I can have ease. I can have joy because I've saved. I've stored up. I've built bigger barns to store my stuff in. And because he's saved, he's happy. But God says, no, you're actually a fool. And here's why. He stored up as if this world was all that there was, as if this material world is all that there is. So think of it this way. Uh, to save nothing is foolish, right? If something happens to your, your car, you need new tires, right? Something happens to your house, you need to tap into a savings account or something. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs, right? It's wise to do that. But there's, there's something else. If there is something else besides this physical world, then to save everything is foolish. See, what God is really saying here is that money you spend on yourself, you cannot take it with you. It cannot go with you. The money that we spend on our clothes, the clothes eventually burn up. They either fall apart here or when the world ends, they burn up. If you put your money into your house, it can crumble, it can burn up. 
But there are some things that never stop. The Bible says God's kingdom doesn't stop. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the Bible tells us, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So the word doesn't stop. People don't stop. People last forever. If you put your money into people, you're putting your money into something that lasts. Jesus says, put your money into God. Put your money into God's kingdom. Put your money into people. That lasts forever. That's the important thing. Money actually has a tendency to blind us from a spiritual reality. The world, the culture, tells us to store up, build bigger barns. The Bible says, empty your barns. Jesus says, the one who wants to find himself will lose himself. The Bible says the way to real honor is to humble yourself. The way to real joy is through repentance. The way to real riches is to empty your barns. The way to real power is to serve. The world says, the culture says, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. But Jesus is going to say, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself. So being rich towards God, what does that mean? It means the way to spiritual progress is to empty your barns, it's to give it away. Being rich towards God is, is Jesus' talk for being generous towards those in need. Because greedy people save carefully and give sparingly. Greedy people save carefully and give sparingly. They suffer from something I've heard someone call it, BBS. Bigger barn syndrome. So think about who Jesus is for a minute. We know that the rich fool is the person who stores up, but Jesus Christ on the cross, he's the ultimate fool, at least as far as the world is concerned. And Paul pretty much bluntly explains it in 1 Corinthians, where he says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, Jesus Christ, he has proved it. When he went to the cross, he won through losing. He was filled through emptying. Jesus got glory by emptying himself of his glory. Jesus is proof. Think about it. Here's a man in sandals. Here's a man without a home. Here's a man who had no money. Here's a man who had no organization. Here's a man who had no publicity. And today he's the most influential man who has ever lived. He has proven who is sane. He has proven who is crazy. He's proven who is a fool. And that's how the gospel works. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came with his spiritual riches. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What does that mean? What is Paul saying? Well, a little bit earlier in chapter 5 of that same book of the Bible, we read, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That means this. Jesus Christ gave up his entitlements. He came to earth. He was entitled to be protected, and he was blasted. He was entitled to access, and he was cut off. He was entitled to glory, and he got ashes. 
He was entitled to these things, and Jesus, he lost them so that we could have them. So when you become a Christian, you actually become rich. And here's how you know, because you've actually seen what Jesus has done, and it's melted your heart. It means you've come to God, not full but empty, because he's filled you. He's clothed you with righteousness, and you're holy and blameless before God, and you're rich. And see, I think when we fail to see this, when we don't surrender our lives to Christ and what he's done, the work that he's done on the cross, I think that we do ourselves a disservice. I think we fall into that self-reliance. And whether it's our stuff, whether it's money, uh, whether it's whatever it is, we fall into that trap where self-reliance is self-destruction. Scripture tells us that we are inherently evil, that the more we rely on ourselves, the more our lives actually fall apart. When we're relying on ourselves and making a God out of ourselves, and we think we're enough, we're actually marching off a cliff. And the reality is this life is going to end. But God sent Jesus, and so let Jesus provide for you. Because self-reliance is self-destructive. Some of us know this because we've tried it. We've tried to rely on our own toughness, uh, our own grit, our own emotions, our own greatness, whether it's our job, our relationships, family, emotions, mental state. But at some point, we come to the realization that I'm not enough. Right? I'm incomplete. I've been relying on myself, and I'm falling apart, and it's leading nowhere. And so the solution is what? The solution is to say, Jesus, I'm looking to you, and I'm relying on you. I'm not relying on my stuff. I'm not relying on my money. I'm not relying on any of that. You're what I need. You're going to pull me to safety, a foundation that I can build on. So one of the questions I think we've got to ask is, how have I been relying on myself? Right? Is it through my stuff? Is it through my money? thinking things will be good enough, I can fix this, I can fix my emotions. i got to give myself to Jesus is what i got to do. I think another question, maybe even a better question, is why do I have so much? See, let me explain what I mean. We live in a consumer-driven culture that keeps us focused on what we don't have. Focusing on what we don't have leaves us vulnerable to greed. I want to share something that King David says in the Bible. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I think this helps us gain a lot of perspective. He says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. See, if we're going to leave it all behind when we die... One thing I think is abundantly clear, we're not owners, we're managers of our stuff and of our money. We're not owners of our stuff and our money, we're managers. And so in light of that, how can we avoid this trap of building bigger barns? How do we avoid that? How do we avoid this life of greed? How do we avoid self-reliance? I think there's a lot of things that you could do, but there's a couple things. Bigger barn syndrome.
two ways to avoid bigger barn syndrome. And this is specifically for followers of Christ. The first one is percentage giving. This goes back to the Old Testament, right? The tithe. And this is, this is one of those things that, like I said, this applies to Christ followers. But if, but if you think if 10%, if that scares you, then start at 1%. Start at 2%, right? You're not going to miss it. And then every year, just go up a percent. And the idea is, just like we read earlier, right? Jesus, he, through his, we became rich through his poverty, right? And so, and so it should affect our lifestyle a little bit. The second thing I would say is spontaneous giving. And this one, it's pretty straightforward, but if you see somebody who's in need, if you see somebody who's struggling, who's having a hard time, then give, right? Don't build bigger barns. Right? Don't buy into that lie that, that God has given us this extra stuff so that we can just build bigger barns. But maybe ask the question, why do I have so much? Right? And if I'm not a, an owner of my stuff and my money, if I'm a manager of my stuff and my money, then how would God have me manage this? Right? I think I've heard someone say this before. If you want to know what somebody loves, then follow the money right? If you were to look into my wallet, you would find receipts of Starbucks. <laughs> and that says more about how much I love my son, really, because I want to be awake so I can change him and feed him. But I think you could say the same thing about a follower of Christ, right? Um, and I, I understand this is a, a sensitive topic for a lot of people, but, you know, the, it's true. The Bible is abundantly clear about this. Uh, we're not owners. We're managers, when it comes to our stuff, when it comes to our money. I think the problem is uh, this idea that, you know, you can't take it with you when you die. That's, that's nothing new. We've all heard that before. That's not new information to any of us. But how many of us, if we were really being honest, we just think, man, if I just had this, if I just had this much money in my checking account, then, then my life would be complete, right? But like we've been saying, self-reliance is self-destruction. We put our hope in that stuff. When we put our hope in our money and our finances. And we know that that's just a dead end. Being rich towards God, storing up treasures in heaven, that's, that's, the, that's the hope. That's the solution. I want to invite the band to get settled in. And, and uh, as, as the band comes up, I just want to close with a couple thoughts here. Um, the first thought is, Right? Don't buy into the whoever has the most toys wins mentality. There is a, a story about uh, John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller made about $1.5 billion in his career, according to a 1937 New York Times obit. Uh, today, this would be $26 billion, by the way. And when John D. Rockefeller, co-founder of Standard Oil Company, gave a rare interview, uh, the reporter was shocked when Rockefeller said he didn't have enough money. And when the reporter asked how much more is enough, Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. Now, I share that because I think that's really sad. Um, I think God wants more for us. You see, greed is not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Uh, greed is supported by an endless cast of what-ifs. What if there's not enough? What if I don't get my fair share? What if he or she has more? What if the economy collapses? 
You see, it's an appetite that can't be satisfied. So I say, as followers of Christ, right, let's choose today, let's remind ourselves, right, to order our lives in accordance with one thing that is eternal, the kingdom of God. Let's choose today to, to choose God over greed. Let us not allow greed to keep us from eternal treasure. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are, Jesus. Uh, we thank you for this reminder in your word today. Uh, we thank you for, uh, for showing us that through your poverty, we become rich. Lord, thank you for uh, forgiving for setting the, the, the model, being a model to us, God, that, that, that you gave your life, Lord. Uh, you went to the cross and you took our shame, you took our guilt, and you uh, defeated, conquered Satan, sin, and death. Uh, Lord, help us, of those who follow you, uh, to further trust in you, God, to, to, to press further into this idea of what it means to live a life of generosity, God. Lord, we know that greed is something that can show up really subtle in our lives, God. And um, we know it's, it's a good thing to save, God. Uh, but we also don't want to, we don't want to be like this guy in this parable. We don't want to just build bigger barns, Lord. We don't want to just, you know, fail to see those, those people that are in need around us, God. So help us to, to search our hearts, Lord. And we uh, rely on you and your spirit to, to lead us and guide us in all these things, God. Help us to invest in your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.